Welcome to the Educate US podcast with your host, Nick Saveri, Dr. Stacy Schultz, and Dr. Patrice Fenton. Three former teachers and administrators talking about a wide range of topics happening in education. Time to educate us. So, once again, my worlds get to merge. I am incredibly excited to introduce our guest today, Jeffrey Finellis. Uh, we taught together, we've built together. He's been part of my work. I've been part of his. He's a Brooklynite. You know, I love to shout out Brooklyn. Um, And just an incredibly passionate uh, educator turned benefits industry leader, husband, father, and just an amazing athlete, um, just an amazing human being overall. So it's my pleasure to introduce Jeffrey. Jeffrey, why don't you tell our, our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, most definitely. I appreciate you guys having me. I think first and foremost, I have to just admit the fact that I learned how to become an educator um, through Patrice. She was mm-hmm. a catalytic yeah. person and someone I've always come back to throughout my time whenever I've made big decisions as well. So I also appreciate her leadership because she, education is not something that happens in the school. It is a lifelong experience. And Patrice actually showed me that um, through modeling it. And also she she contextualized a deep belief um, for kids and not just mm-hmm. by saying it, but how you make it come to life and deal with the outer politics of that by making sure you execute that. So huge shout out to you, Patrice. I think you are a life-changing person that will forever be in my life. A little bit about me. I spent the past 10 years in education, started off as a special education teacher, working directly with Patrice in the Department of Education, then shifted over working at charter schools, um, and independent schools. I worked in the vast, have a vast experience in education, but spent a majority of my time getting my chopping blocks in the charter world. Worked for a large charter, high-performing charter organization in the state of New York, um, top 1% ELA, top 3% in math, and then pivoted to doing work around school transformation and in a neighborhood charter school and worked on doing turnaround in that aspect. But it was there where I found my passion when I really realized that in education, if you get the adults and they roll in the same direction, it's transformative. And too often what ends up happening is the adults are not rolling in the same direction. So it made me think about this philosophy of anytime you do work around kids, everything you do is for the kids, but it's about the adults. First, you need to get the culture with adults correct. Then you need to get the culture with students correct. And then you can get to achievement level. And um, I moved out to Indianapolis to continue doing work because I was compelled with um, the story of Indianapolis and the ability to have multiple venues to service the kids as it relates to mm. education. Um, and it just so happened, I things did not work out as planned. It's a beautiful city and in a beautiful state. However, um, I decided to pivot away from education, but focus on something at a policy level that impacts organizations, um, which is employee benefits. If you have 50 and more employees, you need to have employee benefits. So that allows me to step into the fold of really enacting what I really believe is transformation through people. Thanks, Jeffrey. I really appreciate the way you're speaking about, you know, the bridge between the two worlds and really that connection between about how do we take care of the adults in our community so they we can all take care of the children. With that, I wondered, what were some of the transferable skills for you that came from your teaching and education background into your healthcare background now? So, I mean, Two things. I think when you do education really well and you go after achievement, one thing is having a data-driven mindset. 
so that as you push for something, you're not just pushing to say, oh, my kid's doing well. Things are going right. You're actually like, where are, where is my kid today? Where will they be tomorrow? And what's getting in between that? So I think when I think about working in employee benefits, especially as an advisor, one of my main jobs is actually to get new clients and really understand mm. um, what's going on with them. And I think what's transferable is like when I work with students, right? I don't just make an assumption. I try to understand who they are, why they are, where they're coming, so that I can push them to where they need, need to and want to be. And I think the same exact thing is transferable is when you work with organizations. And I really try to understand who they are, why they are, give them the spectrum of where they can be and try to pinpoint by putting, just like in kids, like you need to do heavy lifting. So you select what's the best option for you. And then from there, we can have a rocket ship um, like mentality mm-hmm. together to move things forward. Because I think education is not just you're pouring into kids, but it's accountability of saying like, what are you going to do within this aspect? And that was the most transferable thing. But I think the simplest facts is a communication, um, being curious, mm-hmm. asking questions, Asking transferable questions. And I want to be clear on that. Like asking questions that can fit in any scenario. So you're getting at bats mm-hmm. and just getting better at that. And the last but not least, having an outputs driven mindset and being mm-hmm. willing to transfer your inputs because everybody's not the same. I really like that model, actually, Jeffrey, just the way you sort of broke that down. Um, so you let off A with just a awesome shout out for Patrice, but also sort of taking us a little bit into the world for you as an educator. And I would argue you're still in the education space, not in the school, but in the different world. Right. So, but with that in mind, you know, when you're thinking about the support that we provide adults, and this comes up, you know, for the work that Stacey Patrice and I do often, like how are we being mindful of the way we take care of the practitioners of teaching in addition to the students? Jeffrey, in your experience, the world you live in now, and then just sort of putting on that hat back when you were, you know, teaching in a school, what, what, you know, what felt present for you when you think about care for adults and, and conversely, what, what didn't feel uh, present for you? Yeah, I'll be transparent. I'll break it into like my experience as an educator. And I also have to talk about my experience as a leader too, because there was points where I failed at that. And I think I was successful as well. As educator, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know what I didn't know. I worked for, in the beginning, I worked as, at a very large district, but we didn't realize how much benefits we have. So the number one thing I would say, just from a benefit standpoint, um, I wish I understood how to actually navigate to understanding what I actually was receiving. I think all too often, especially in a climate where, you know, you have collective bargaining and, uh, you know, I don't think that I don't have an opinion. I think there's no right or wrong, but like I was not pushing myself to like, here's what I'm getting out of it. And this is a huge value add to my work experience. And I didn't know that. So that would have, that could have kept me and said, wow, you know what, if I'm here for 10, 15 years and this has this impact, hundred percent of my medical, I want to have kids and everything like that. This is huge. This is a huge buy. And I think a lot of times I was stuck in what we didn't have because I was thinking about the cultural aspect. Um, the other aspect is actually clarity around mission, huge for me, clarity around accountability, huge for me. And are you actually supporting me as an individual to really be my best self, to, to actually provide support in the work and be productive. So for me, that just like I have to deeply believe in a kid, I don't work well when people don't deeply believe in me <laughs> as well. You know, and I also have to deeply believe in the leadership too. But I think for me, the, the major points were like, I didn't understand fully like you what, what what was the benefits of being in that workspace. So that left a huge gap to a misconception of what I was receiving. And then when I thought when bad days were bad, only thing I could point out is things I didn't have. You know, you know, you have your kids, you know, your kids like you don't get my dad arguing with my daughter the other day. It's like we don't I don't get 
I don't get um Doritos chips. I'm like, but you get a home cooked meal every single day for lunch. <laughs> I said, I did not articulate the value proposition what I'm giving you every single day. Um, but with that being said, though, I think all too often that's a huge gap. But I also think it's leadership too. You know, people don't leave jobs, they leave people. And I think all too often leaders don't have the capability to actually authentically, intentionally, and strategically tell people actually what they're receiving. And that's a huge issue. People don't know what's happening and that leads to the experience. So it's never about what you're getting. It's about when the days are bad, how do you think? Am I thinking what I don't have? Or I'm thinking like, you know what? This is days bad, but I know I have this. So when you think about it holistically and you think about a human being and shout out to Megan Neal, she's one of my colleagues and Brian Brenner, who really had this concept of like, when you think about human beings at the center is your experience. Outside of the experience is the communication. And then you have things like compensation, benefits, et cetera, um, that actually speaks to it. But I think when people be important to, they're being invested in, their, their intentionality around communication is there as well as um, you can ask for returns after that. <laughs> and I think all too often people ask for returns without ever really making an initial investment. And that's leadership ownership too. But I think at the same exact time, everyone has a responsibility to actually know and ask questions and be curious and not always expecting that too. But I think it also takes leadership, being accepting of people being able to ask questions and it's not a ding on who you are as a leader. And as a leader, for me, what I think I've worked on really in education to work with people is like, A, understand people's purpose. B, make sure their purpose and direct it to what our mission is and be clear on that. And I think build trust, communicate directly and simply to them, like understand like, and understand what's best communication for some people. Like I'm a walk by you. I need to talk to you in a minute. I can talk to you. Some people that I do not work well with. <laughs> so like understand the form of communication for them. And then I think the most important thing is like, if you invest, you got to be able to ask for a return because if you're not checking um, the levels of your investments, then you need to redirect how you're investing. Because I think all too often people, even leaders, are scared to ask for returns. Asking for returns is not a, is using somebody. It's actually a critique on your investment in them and how you communicate things to them. So I think those are the major things. Build trust, communicate, invest, and ask for a return. Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at webflow.com. curious you know because as you mentioned I've been with you from the start of your journey as an educator and now you've made this incredible pivot journey as an educator in the classroom into your leadership and all these different capacities and now uh, with this pivot I'm curious about anything that has surprised you or anything that you like weren't expecting that's come up in your work as you've made this pivot um I think the first thing is being insecure so, you know, that, you know, that always pops up. I think like making a jump like this from education to um, doing employee benefits work is, you know, it leaves a lot of room for insecurities. By, by, by that, I'm saying like there's uncomfortability of something brand new. But I go back to like being an educator, right? What's the best part of teaching the kids is when they learn something brand new and that, that growth. So like for me, 
I always believed in that as an educator. So I'm just being transferred, but it was a surprise how much it's coming up for me. I was, I'm, I'm a confident leader. I can lead. I led through many things, but like doing this where I'm actually not on the top of the totem pole. I'm actually coming in at a level where I actually have to be curious and I have to learn from anyone and everyone <laughs> at the same exact time. So my ability to actually, um, what surprised me is like, I still have that curiosity in me that I want to constantly learn. And it's a reminder of why we why education is really important <laughs> and i think there's a transfer that that's what's been transferred about leaving the school it's like being able to still be curious the second thing is like the fear of failure i didn't realize like you know like you know at the end of the day it's, it is a business like you gotta hit particular numbers you know what i mean in order to be successful and education is one of those unfortunate places where people don't hit numbers people don't get penalized <laughs> as, as as particular in, in, in the corporate world you know it is that um, and I think that that's a huge surprise for me. Not a surprise, but it's like it's a more of a reality. And I think last but not least, I think how interconnected the corporate benefit space is as it relates to schools, because it is a lot of educating. It's a lot of deep relationship building. It's actually a lot of belief in people that they'll do the right thing for their people. And if they're not doing that, how do you educate them so they can know the spectrum of where they are so they can make a huge, huge impact? And I didn't realize how deeply benefits are tied to the family or human experience. When people are not being, their experience is not acknowledged or not being highlighted, people take that home with them. Man, at work, man, it's really tough. They don't really care about me. And what is the psychological impact that has on your kids, your husband, your community in general? And I didn't realize how interconnected it was how organizations every single day when they make a decision, especially around like benefits or people strategy, the rippling impact it can have, not just on that person, but their family dynamic and their community at large. So for me, when I saw that there's a deep level of impact, once again, it drew me just like an education. Like when you see the kid that everyone said is five years behind in reading, but within a year cycle, you see they cut that in half transformational experience or when you work in a self-contained classroom where you behind two two solid doors and the 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 leader at that point in time great person but wanted to like you know kids in self-contained need to stay in self-contained but you declassify three of them before the year is up and they could transition to a classroom before they get to high school that's a powerful experience and i think the same thing i'm surprised that there's a deep parallel with corporate benefits and the educational sector Speaking of benefits and education, I uh, just want to talk about the Medicaid cuts a little bit. So, and the impact on education from your experience as an educator and also someone who is deep in um, healthcare benefits now or employee benefits as you name them. So currently uh, about 41% of children were disenrolled from Medicaid. And if though some might not know, that Medicaid provides routine screenings, uh, immunizations, it supports special education plans, it also does the vision and hearing screenings, and so much more. And the negative impact on students, school districts, and schools has been multi-pronged. Really interested from your perspective and your experience, what are some of the things that you can see that would be really uh, harmful and negative to the students, family experience, as you mentioned, the human experience um, and in schools? 
Yeah, man, I think that's a challenge. That's that's a, that's a tough one, man, and it's sad and unfortunate to hear. But I think the first thing I think about is like, uh, take it to the, the balcony level and think about like, what is the psychological impact? And think about within that group, which populations are actually affected even more, whether you're black, brown, Native American, low income, et cetera, and the impact that has on that end. And then just think about the psychological impact of people that are fearful of hospitals but having something like that happen can actually build on that foundation of fear or disconnect, which then allows people not to be proactive about health issues, but reactive. And I think two things, A, it sounds like potentially it can be a higher cost later on, <laughs> um, but and not just ec economically, but also like physically and emotionally to, mm -hmm. to students. And I think the, the major thing is we all know like, School work is hard and people come from different backgrounds, but health is huge. And if you can mitigate things up front and be preventative, um, like with screenings, that's data points to actually understand where somebody is and, you know, where they can be. And being able to screen things out early is huge. There's a huge thing that, you know, being in school, like if you, you know, and it also allows you not to mis misdiagnose kids. So I think that, that these are tools that you can actually leverage to actually give kids fair shots to reach their potential. And I think without an element of like the Medicare, it potentially removes opportunity to um, diagnose things, which then can lead to misdiagnosis because, you know, sometimes education, it goes by people's experience and natural thoughts and individuals can actually craft that. So I think there's a fear around like, what's going to be the cost is the question I ask later on. And the second thing is what psychological um, impediments it may build in to underserved communities who already may be resistant against that. And last but not least, where's the data? If you know, if you can't check that people are getting preventative care up front, like what is the impact of that? Jeffrey, I want to just kind of jump further into what you were mentioning earlier about sort of the connection through line, you know, between the world of education and, you know, in I want to be careful here because I think all of it, all of this is tied to learning. I think you and I were agreeing on that earlier. So when we think of the non-school setting, non-school learning setting, what skills come up for you when you think about other things that um, sort of draw the connection between the world within school and the world of education outside of a school building? The thing that comes to mind when I hear you, you, you say that is like talent, retention and attraction and cultivation. And I think that's a through line in, in the industry, right? But I think education, um, it's more pressing uh, and I think as a leader, I think sometimes it's easy to fall. I fall into a space where like, people need to do work because they, it's the work they have to do. Like you're teaching, you just need to do well because it's your job. And sometimes I, I, I forget about like, no, it's actually my job to actually attract people. And it's my job to keep people. Don't mean you keep people that's not doing being effective, but you have to have an intentional strategy where you're thinking about how do I keep folks here to maintain them? And then the, the last piece is the cultivation piece. Like as a leader, you know, like, I was having a great conversation with somebody today who started a business and they, um, you know, said like, you know, the second time around, I'm investing in executive level people because they've done it before too. But not all the time we have that that luxury as well. So like, how are you actually taking in people, understanding where they are and seeing where they can be without tying them back to you and your organization? It's like, if I can get this person just to be the best person that they can be, it's still going to benefit my organization because they had a great experience. And I think the last thing is the experience piece. I'm learning more and more. Um, uh, who, I forgot what it means. Patricia, you can hit me with this. Shame on me for not remembering. It's like people don't remember, you know, you know what they said, but how they felt. 
So like when someone goes to your organization, they may not remember all the particular moments of things I said to them, but they remember how they feel. If people felt pushed in a positive way that they can sell and they can solve the problems of the world, they'll remember that and that carry out and that help out your organization that you're leading. And I think all too often sometimes um leadership can be more transactional. And I think, you know, people read, you know, until another business leader comes out with another great book to shift their people's mindsets. A lot of people have taken the business, um, taking dealing with people in a transactional way, which can be detrimental um, because it's really hard um, to think about numbers through people. Um, and I think it's a, it's a hard challenge because like you have to actually be just like in school. Like if you have a classroom, 30 kids, yeah, you can teach one lesson, but there's 30 different people and how you can get the, get get to that that point that everyone can understand the content. Um, and I think that often leaders try to do it in a singular way when you have to actually really open up and have the bandwidth to actually understand your people and then actually understand how to bring it together. And I think that's the most challenging thing I've seen with leaders. Like people don't really understand the profiles of the people within it and how to motivate them, move them forward or get them to agree with how to move forward. And I think that's what hurts education. There's research that backs that, you know, that backs that people can't get people to roll together in education, the impact that it's really having um, in many different aspects. And then it creates a counterculture in which we've seen that people will cut their nose despite their face. Jeffrey, I feel like you dropped a lot of gems here on us today and and, and brought us some laughter too. Is that is another piece of, uh, I think, one of your greatest attributes in addition to your passion. Um, I'm just curious, I want to kind of open it up to you, really. Like, is there anything that you feel is really important for our listeners to know? I'd invite you to come from any lens as uh, we have parents, you know, educators, leaders, uh, organizational leaders, um, folks in the community. What What's something that you want to leave with our listeners today? That's a really good question. <laughs> Man, I think th the first thing is what I said earlier, everything is for the kids, but it's about the adults. And I think for me, one thing I would say is like, let's not think about this, about whether it's a charter school, independent school, um, traditional public school, Catholic school. If we can begin to, as adults collectively say, like, I want my city or state to be the best with educational output for kids. I think that's a different conversation because it holds us accountable to actually work collectively together to actually solve that. Because I, you know, just like a teacher, like, I'm not good with just 30 black kids winning or 30 brown kids winning or 30 native kids winning. I want all of them to win. And I think all too often as adults, we break that down too often. So like my push in general is like, how do we do this collectively together? Not to say that people can't have their own politics, but like, let's focus on the big picture. If you create a space or we create a state that, we change it for all kids, that's more transformative, more powerful. The second thing is as organizations, we make daily decisions that can impact our hugest assets, which is our people. So I challenge organizations to really think about what is their people strategy? Why is it their people strategy? And where do they wanna go with their people strategy? Because at the end of the day, that's what drives everything is your people. And I, I'll take it a step further. It's like, you know, stop having these like, our benefits are you get a gym. If your people don't need gyms, <laughs> don't make that one of your benefits. I think all too often people try to actually do things to sound good rather than actually really doing the work to actually know what is good. And the crazy thing is good changes every single year. So if you're not thoroughly evaluating what your benefits are or what your value proposition is for organization, then you're losing, you're losing out on people. And the most important thing I'll, I'll say with that is that when you lose people, you lose out on productivity and that's a huge, huge thing. So benefits is one lever, 
But if you don't start off with understanding why you pay people, how you pay them, and what is the purpose of that, and why you have benefits, why do you why you want to use them, and why you want to have them, then to be honest, you you're actually missing out on the fundamental aspect of um, your people strategy. And I I think that the third piece is even when I disagree, what I'm learning more and more is at the at the core, what makes me passionate and why I want to connect with you guys is I just believe in people. At the end of the day, I think people can do great things as well as people can do awful things. But I think I encourage us to really continue to really think about people. And if you're a leadership person or a person in leadership, really understand how your organization, how you can model treating people, because we need more people that understand how to treat people. So that becomes more of the norm. And it's not a disconnected conversation like with the butts. It's like, and let me figure out how to make this happen. And I think all too often I hear a lot of butts. I can't do this because I can't have people and say like, I can't do this now, but it's important for me to figure this out because the people I have are extremely important and their experience matter. And I'm going to figure this out um, as well. So um, just to sum it all up, man, everything we do is for the kids, but it's about the adults. Let's actually critically think about what our people strategy and why we have people strategy because organizations is moved by a collective body of people. And last but not least, you may not be able to do something today, but rather than actually eliminating what you can do, go back to your values of why you want to do something so that you actually can eliminate excuses. So you actually know where you are in the spectrum so you can move forward um, and to try to solve things around your people strategy. Benefits matter, y'all. I don't think there's any other way to sum it up. Thank you for listening to the Educate Us podcast. Subscribe to the show, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, please, please leave us a review or comment wherever you can. We want to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, or just want to be part of the conversation, email us at theeducateusshow at gmail.com. This has been a production of Leon Media Network. I'm Nick Saveri. I'm Patrice Benton. And I'm Stacey Schultz. We'll see you next time. 